You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to A Step Further. This is our weekly podcast from Kingsway Christian Church. My name is Matt Nickerson, and I am guest hosting for Andy Lynch, who is letting me take over today because I have a special guest with us, Dr. Christopher Yuan. And uh, Dr. Christopher Yuan graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2005. He received a master's in biblical exegesis in 2007 and a doctorate of ministry in 2014. Christopher taught the Bible at Moody Bible Institute for 12 years in his speaking ministry on faith and sexuality has reached five continents. He speaks at conferences, on college campuses, and in churches, and we just want to say welcome, Christopher, to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Pastor Matt. Yeah. Where are you headed after this, by the way? Um, My mom and I are going to Georgia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pine Mountain, Georgia. That sounds beautiful. We woke up this morning, and it was snowing in the middle of November here in Indiana. A lot. Big snowflakes. Not ready for this. Neither... Neither was I. <laughs> but, I'm from Chicago, but um, we've been living in San Diego for the past four or five months. And um, actually, we didn't move there for the weather, but I got to say we are enjoying the weather. I, I'd say it was yeah. actually 90 degrees two days ago. And that's that's out of ordinary. We got like, a, I think they call it a Santa Ana wind or something like that, which okay. is the wind coming from the desert. So it's actually, it was, it was super dry, like 13% humidity, but hot in November. We're like, okay, we'll take it. So I was visiting California and uh, somebody that was meeting out there said, you know, California is a Mediterranean climate. Only like something like 3% of the world is Mediterranean. And one of the other places is the Middle East, Israel. And they said, it's not an accident that the son of God's going to have to come to earth that he would pick a Mediterranean climate. I was like, okay, I live in Indiana. What am I going to say? All right. So we're following up from Sunday. You did a fantastic job. Thank you for coming to our church, sharing with us. Heard great feedback. People were encouraged, challenged, convicted all over the place. So I wanted to take that conversation Further, So for those of you who maybe were here for all of it, some of this will be repeat. If you missed and didn't hear any of it, this will be new to you. Recently, though, I had a conversation with a gentleman, and I actually told him you were coming to my church, and this gentleman doesn't go to our church. And he said, well, I don't understand why you would have somebody come and speak to your church on that. Why is that an important biblical topic? And I thought, really, do you pay attention to what's going on today? And uh, so I, I swallowed my sarcastic nature, and, <laughs> and I said, I, I don't understand where you're coming from. As the conversation went on, he had a hard time envisioning that anybody could struggle with same-sex attraction and call themselves a Christian. Mm. And I pointed out to them, I said, well, whenever we win somebody to Christ, we're not winning them to our view of the politics or our view of heterosexuality or our view of any of those things. We're winning them to Jesus first and foremost. And you have a phrase that you use for this phrase of sexuality. Your phrase is, and you want to define that phrase for us too? Uh, It's called holy sexuality. Yeah. So, uh, actually, so holy sexuality came out of um, while I was coming to Christ, not having, uh, not being raised in the church, so maybe not having, you know, on the positive note, any biblical foundation, but sometimes that comes with, uh, you know, being raised in the church with some baggage. So I didn't have any preconceived notions, but essentially it was my frustration with the only paradigm that I believe we had, which was when it comes to sexuality, which is either the heterosexuality, bisexuality, or homosexuality Mm -hmm. framework. And as I was reading God's word and comparing that with that framework, that framework didn't need to match. In essence, it was, I felt like it was trying to 
to jam a square peg into the round hole. Um, in other words, I was, it was clear to me that same-sex relationships were sinful. Okay, I got that um, by God's grace. But then it seemed like, okay, if homosexuality isn't God's will, then it then is heterosexuality. And then I was kind of just frustrated with, well, but there's heterosexual sin. And the Bible actually, much of what the Bible condemns when it comes to sexual immorality is heterosexual sin. Mm. So then what is God's standard? And so that's where I, I was like, well, let me read God's word. And that's where I came up with this phrase. So that the, essentially the definition of uh, holy sexuality is chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And... Um, so the concept, the, the, the phrase may be new, something that maybe listeners or people who, who've come, went, came to Kingsway this you know past weekend may be new to them, but the concept is not. It's, it's, it's essentially just saying what, what the Bible is calling us to, that when you're single, be sexually abstinent, or when you are married, um, you, know, in, you know, to a man or, uh, you know, that the only definition is a man and woman, be faithful to your spouse or the opposite sex. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned this is what the scripture said, and and as you told in your testimony here on Sunday, um, that uh, that you were um, trying to get help. You went to a chaplain at the at the prison. The chaplain handed you a book, said, "Hey, the Bible doesn't really say one way or the other um, that's not that it's not okay." And then you said, "No, wait a minute." So then you started reading your Bible, and you couldn't find a passage to back that up. Right. There's six famous passages um, that deal with homosexuality, and they've become known as the clobber passages. Yeah. Why is that, first of all? Well, I mean, because it's often used by Christians um, to, I guess, quote-unquote, uh, clobber those in the gay community as being they're living in sin, etc., um, and yeah, so the, uh, that's that's usually why, I mean, I, I think, I... I I don't use that phrase. I mean, I, I think um, calling any verse in the Bible a clobber passage uh, kind of d- demeans the the holiness and the saying right. the, the perfection of of God's word, uh, because there are passages that that do uh, convict us of sin, and that's that's you know if we call that a clobber passage, well, you're calling God that, and He does that for His for our good. There are passages that are mm. called to encourage us. There are passages that are going to be difficult for us. I I appreciate that perspective too. Um, if if you were to sit down and talk with somebody and they were legitimately asking, what does the Bible say about this subject? Where would you start? Where would you take someone and read a passage? Where would you look at what it says? What's the first passage you would go to? I probably would actually go to uh, God's yes. Uh, uh, you know, Matthew okay. 19, Mark chapter 10, that's probably where I would start. Um, okay. you know, and, and we, we talked about that in the, in the afternoon session because, um, uh, you know, unfortunately sometimes people put a more, a little bit more weight to Jesus's words, which I don't think is correct. I mean, you know, because it's in red lettering, so therefore it's more special. No, it's just, <laughs> you know, it is Jesus's words, but, uh, I, you know, sometimes people like, they're like, well, I don't like Paul's words or I don't like, so, okay, I, I don't agree with that, you know, mind frame, but let's just, you know, Jesus is the son of God. So let's then just use those words. And Jesus being asked about divorce by the Pharisees, you know, is, is divorce okay in any situation? And his answer was going over the law to something more foundational, which is creation, going to Genesis. In the beginning, God made the male and female, the two shall become one flesh. Uh, so I, I like to go there to say this is God's yes uh, for what marriage is, what uh, sex is reserved for, 
so that's kind of where I would start and and discuss that passage. Now, the other passages, those six passages, are, are very important, but I feel like uh, people have done a lot of mental gymnastics already. And so for our listeners, if you're not prepared for that, you can oftentimes be caught off guarding. Like, I have never heard that before, and I don't know how to respond to that. But it's just simply saying, this is what Jesus' words, he, this is what why my divorce is not right. But he also throws in there a little extra of yeah. saying, this is what marriage is, is between a man and a woman. And that's why marriage is a man and a woman, because it's going back to creation that God made them male and female. Which also, interestingly enough, it points even to the image of God passage. That's what the male and female passage is coming from, Genesis one twenty seven, which also shows this really cool, you know, connection that Jesus was connecting marriage with the image of God metaphor. Yeah. So at the end of Matthew 19, there's this interesting phrase. Do you make anything of it related to this conversation? Matthew 19, 11 through 12 and the NIV says, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Yes. Great passage. So that passage is not a passage, easy passage to kind of understand because then what, what does this mean? How does a person make themselves a eunuch, etc.? So it's, it's needing to understand it in context. So we can't like just look at this passage and, and try to uh, not look at what was said before. So obviously Jesus was just talking about, you know, what about divorce? And then, you know, and then he, he says, you know, uh, uh, talking about this is what marriage is. And then he also adds in there about, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, if... If a man, you know, uh, the, the part about, you know, adultery and stuff like yeah. that. So then his disciples kind of responded back and was saying, this sounds like a pretty difficult saying. Like, so are you saying that we essentially, you know, shouldn't get married? Um, and you would think then Jesus would be like, he would, you know, yeah. back down and be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going that far. But instead, Jesus was like, yeah, I mean, he, he and then he, you know, then gives this saying about, uh, you know, about singleness. So in context, he's not actually talking about literally eunuchs, but eunuch is a metaphor for singleness and not being married. So what Jesus was actually elevating in the context of first century Israel, by the way, singleness was not elevated at all. Singleness was viewed as a curse. As a matter of fact, uh, rabbis, if you were 20 years old and a man and unmarried, you were viewed to be accursed. Jesus was 30 and unmarried. And he was a rabbi. So there, it, it, just him being a single man in, in first century Israel as a rabbi was very radical. But he gave this, you know, th- this issue about eunuchs essentially being single. And then he was tying it to that, you know, this is not a bad thing. So, um, and, and also he was saying, you know, if, if this is something that you can accept. Now, this is where it's been misunderstood as like, well, accepting what? So most people kind of take it as, well, if you can accept this gift of singleness. But actually, when you read the passage, what he's talking about, you know, accept is accept this teaching on singleness. If you can accept it, well, that's good. It's kind of like uh, those who have ears to hear, you know, hear. 
that doesn't mean then, okay, then therefore I shouldn't hear. I mean, it's actually Jesus essentially saying we need to hear this. Uh, same thing, we need to accept this saying about singleness for all people, whether they are married or not, that this is actually a good thing, that people, uh, we can use this for the kingdom of, of kingdom of God. That's so good. It might be helpful for our listeners to understand um, what a eunuch is. I remember when I was in Acts class in Bible college, and I kind of had a general understanding, and my professor was teaching on it, and, uh, and I raised my hand. I was like, can you just help me understand? I think I know. I kind of got a big picture. What is a eunuch? And um, he accidentally responded. Um, he said, well, it's hard to describe. There's what's happening in the eunuch's actual body, but then there's the bigger thing, like what was going on with the eunuch in society? And he said, ah, the best way I could describe it for you is eunuchs have kind of been cut off from society, to which I was then rolling on the ground laughing, trying to hold it together. And he went, wait, that's not what I meant. So can you maybe help us understand? Cause maybe some of our listeners are going, what is a eunuch? I don't understand what a eunuch is I mean, it, it, without going into too much yeah, so detail. Essentially a eunuch, um, oftentimes are people who would be working in, uh, like a King's court or more specifically, maybe the queen's court or, or an empress's court because, uh, so an, a eunuch was essentially a castrated male. Uh, and so they were viewed then to be safe in a sense, because then they were kind of men in a sense, but they didn't have their, their jewels, you right. know, their, <laughs> right. so, uh, and, and so then they were kind of viewed as being safe. They couldn't propagate, they couldn't have children. And so eunuchs, those oftentimes might've held uh, important political, you know, because they were kind of able to be inside the, the inner kind of court essentially. Yeah. Uh, but they were also shunned um, in a sense as, I mean, kind of maybe freaks of nature or whatever. Um, and so there was a sense where, and also the Bible talks about that um, if, you know, for men, if, uh, you know, your sexual organs are crushed for men. Mm. You could not enter into the temple. So there was an uncleanness aspect of being a eunuch. But there's this beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 56 where mm. actually mentions eunuchs. I this is one of my favorite passages because I think there's this link between what you're talking about, Matthew 19 and Isaiah 56, where Isaiah recording God's prophecy of saying that um, to the eunuchs uh, who obey my Sabbaths, um, I'm going to give them something greater than sons and daughters. Well, what in the world is greater than sons and daughters, especially for Israel? Because in Israel, yes. everything was about having children. Why? Because they didn't have exactly the full concept of eternal life yet. So how did you live forever through your children. Right. How do you pass on your name? Like the Old Testament is all about the name, the name of God. And so we have our names. How do you pass on our names? I mean, just like, you know, parents now, how do you pass on your name through your kids? So you live on through your kids. So, but then a eunuch who's a castrated male cannot then have children that's been taken away from him. So, but then God is saying, I'm going to give you eunuchs yeah. something greater than sons and daughters. Um, and that answer the question that that question is never fully answered. It's kind of left hanging. But that chapter is in context of talking about the Messiah, right? That's right yes. after Isaiah, Isaiah fifty three. Right. So it's yeah. kind of talking about the suffering servant Jesus, who we know now. But the Israel knew that those promises during that time that they didn't know exactly what that meant were going to be fulfilled in Messiah. Yeah. 
Well, now we know Jesus came. So what does that exactly mean? Well, what's greater than sons and daughters if you can't have physical sons and daughters? For example, as a single man like myself. Now, I'm open to marriage, but right now I don't have kids. I am single. What's greater than sons and daughters? Well, number one, and and I don't know if exactly it's meant. I think I think it's Isaiah fifty eight. But it's it's one. It's having God as our Father. It's it's being a son. In other words, mm. I am a son of God because of Christ. Of course, yeah. I am a son of God. So that's better than a son. You know, than having sons and daughters. But it's not just that. Because if I am a son of God, if God is my Father, um, I'm also called to. Be fruitful and multiply, Genesis one twenty eight. But how is that done as a single man? Well, we have actually Matthew chapter twenty eight. So I actually see this connection between Genesis one twenty eight, the the you know, be fruitful, multiply, be fruitful yeah. and multiply. Uh, you know, the command in uh, in Genesis, the the creation mandate, connected to Matthew tra- chapter twenty eight eighteen, which is the nineteen, which is the great commission. So yeah. we make this go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name in the name of the Father, Son, and the, name of the Holy Spirit. So we see then that that actually. As a single man, what's greater than being, you know, than having sons and daughters? Number one, that I am a son of God, but then I can actually beget children, not physical children, but spiritual children. Yeah. So, um, this is Paul and Timothy, right? Paul and Titus. This oh, is, exactly. Yeah, over Paul, and over again. who's doesn't have, he's not married. He's a single man. Yeah. Um, he was a father. Timothy. Uh, I mean, he even talks about. I mean, he had many children. Um, not physical children, but spiritual children. So, I, you know, I, I challenge single women and single men, you know, have children, spiritual children. Um, that's what we're all called to do. Yeah. Um, so that's just a, a, a great reminder there, you know, that as eunuchs, you know, going back to Isaiah 56, what's greater than sons and daughters? I can, I can have spiritual sons and daughters. And we see the... Uh uh, what's the right phrase? Enunciation of this in you know Acts chapter eight with Philip and the eunuch, yeah. Where you know you got this eunuch, he's a <laughs> Ethiopian yes. eunuch, and Philip leads him to the Lord, baptizes him. He's one of us, and yes. that was never if he he could only kind of become a Jew, right? He could only get so far into the faith, but now yes. in Christ, he's all the way in. He's one of us. He's no different than anyone else. Amen. Amen. Such and, a powerful. And, and what's so cool is actually, um, uh, you, you know that. In Isaiah, that chapter in Isaiah fifty-six, you know, talking about what's what's better than sons and daughters. It actually, you know, in Hebrew, it, it uses the word that you will, you know, your name will not be cut yes. off. Yes, and it's like, what does a eunuch always have to be reminded every single day? Maybe multiple times during the day. You know, as we use you know, the bathroom multiple times a day, he needs to be reminded of that that something was cut off. But then yeah. this beautiful passage in Isaiah 56 is saying that your name will not be cut off. That's, right. I think that's just, just really uh, beautiful. Just the imagery is, is um, yeah, it's can be kind of raw, but real. So the, the most, the, the, your book was so helpful to me as a pastor, I've probably studied this deeper than the average person out there from a biblical standpoint. The part that was so deeply convicting and deeply helpful to me was the parts, because it was a large portion of your book, on singleness and how mm. the church, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What I heard is how the church has failed to really <laughs> elevate singles. Yeah. Yes. So when I was at my last church, 
couple staff members and friends of mine on uh, that were heavy volunteers, they were single and they were older singles. Now, a couple of them have since been married, but uh, one time we had a pastor come in and did a sermon on singleness. And essentially the root of the sermon was, if you're single, this is a gift. You can now give more of yourself to the church. Mm. And my single friends went, great. So I'm supposed to burn myself out while the rest of you married <laughs> people go on date nights. Yeah, And I don't know that that was, a, it's not fair to say that was the pastor's intended point. Yep. There was obviously some hurt speaking, yep. but what message do we need to deliver to singles in our church? Well, um, yeah, and to address the part about um, sometimes it's it's misunderstood that singles have more time. I think a better way to put it is singles sometimes might have a little bit more flexibility in that um, if I was a married man and if someone said, can you do this? I would need to ask my wife, I need, you know, see what's going on with, you know, my kids and their calendars and stuff. So there's a little bit more flexibility where as a single man, someone says, you want to go out to eat? Be like, hmm, yeah, let's go. You know, <laughs> right. it, I asked myself. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Or no, I, I can't. So there, there can be, or like, you know, go out on a short term missions trip. You know, there, I could just pick up and go, but you know, not always because single people oftentimes just as couples, they can share responsibilities. So like maybe the husband takes care of the car, the wife takes care of whatever, you know, things at home. And so there, there can be, but for a single person, that person has to take care of all the responsibility. If your car breaks down, you don't have anyone to kind of help yeah. unless you have someone, you know, like the church. This is why I think it's so important that couples and singles need the church. Yeah. <laughs> that means everyone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the, uh, the the reminder of uh, how singleness we've we've really missed um, is core for us to better minister. To, you know, for you know people who are wrestling with not just either same sex attractions, but any sexual brokenness, any sin issue. Um, that it's uh, you know it's it's the uh, it's reminding that um, singleness is not a curse. And um, we can, you know, so the message to the single individual is you can serve God even where you are in whatever situation you find yourself in. And you don't have to wait for you to meet someone to become whole. Mm. I, I tell my students at Moody Bridal Institute. <laughs> um, <laughs> I went to Cincinnati Bridal Comet okay, College get, right. Seminary, so I get <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's no other person makes you whole, only Jesus does. Yeah. And um, so, you know, before you become one, be whole. You know, Jesus says the two become one. He does not say two halves become one, but the two become one. So in other words, one plus one equals one. And yet sometimes as Christians, they're trying to become whole. So they're like half and they're trying to become whole from another person and you never become whole. Right. You just become like a codependent mess. And as you mentioned earlier today, maybe in both the sermon and in the seminar afterwards, we know plenty of married people who are not experiencing wholeness. Right. Being married isn't a fix all. Right. So, uh, Okay, one of the things I want, I, I could use your help in this. I think this would help my listeners. What have you seen or what have you experienced that churches have done to come alongside singles? Because mm. my my last church had a singles ministry and it was a meat market. <laughs> and that is a, that sounds terrible. I should yeah, clarify no, what I mean by is it's like, hey, how do I go meet other single people and yes, get married? The expectation, yeah. Right, right. Yep. It, but that's different than having a place where single people could be a part of the life of the life giving life of the church. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that there can be some benefit of, you know, you know, 
more of the focus group of, you know, either singles ministry, but you're right. I, I'm not too sure how to avoid the single ministries to be like that. The, the Christian meat market or, you know, the, the college and career, I sometimes jokingly call it, um, you know, the singles ghetto. Like we don't know what to do. These people just put them all together. Yeah. Um, Maybe they'll join the married ministry in a few right, years. Right. Yeah. You know, they'll graduate to that. Um, but I think what, uh, a healthy church is um, it, it, uh, an integrated church. Mm. So what I believe singles need most is being able to have, to do life on life with married people, with older people, with younger yes. people. In the same way, there's, there's a lot that married people can learn from single people. You know, single adults, people who may be, might be, you know, either older single saints or people who are in their middle ages and, and happen to be single that most of them probably want to get married, but they're, they're, you know, they're just, God hasn't provided that yet. Um, so I think, you know, with that integration, that takes work. Um, it doesn't happen naturally. We all gravitate toward people who are the same as us. So that's why you find couples around the same age. They all kind of click, you know, click together, older couples, you know, group together. Um, people of, you know, maybe children are on the same, same age. And, and I think that's, natural and that's good we can a lot of you know great relationships can happen that way but i think there's also a side where we need to stretch ourselves and we can learn from other people that are just different from us um so i would say that's what needs therefore i the responsibility rests on i think couples and families mm. to reach out to single individuals because it's hard for a single person to insert themselves into the life of a family, but I think it's, it is appropriate for couples or a family, you know, with kids to be like, Hey, why don't you come have lunch with us and, you know, get to know, you know, and, you know, so my kids can actually see a, a good example of a, a single woman who loves Jesus. And, um, uh, so I think that's what I, I think would be really good for, um, churches to, to, to do, to actually encourage that integration that doesn't always come naturally, um, but can be healthy for the church. So it's what I would say from my chair as the pastor who tries to figure out where's God moving next in our church and in our community that we need to partner with him in the world. The most natural relationship is the one you're closest to, right? So mm -hmm. if it's your cousin, your nephew, your whatever, your friend, your neighbor, you're close to them. That's It's easier than, say, me as the pastor of the church creating a ministry for that person. You're there as yes. a Christian. You do it. Yep. Don't wait for the church to do it. Right. And the situation changes, right? Um, there's been seasons that my wife and I were loving on couples and they went through a divorce and the wife needed a place to stay. And my wife and I talked about it thought, that's just not smart. Or young men needed a place to stay. Like, just given our situation it wouldn't be smart to have them come and live with us because one of us will always be out of the house. Mm -hmm. And because of my position, I can't put my name on the line that I'm at home alone with the opposite, or my wife is home alone with the opposite gender. So that doesn't work for us, but there yeah. has to be other options. Yeah. But we have, we have widowed ladies in our church. They're single and we have them over for Christmas or Thanksgiving or, you know, so the situation changes, be wise, right. but be engaged. Right. Yes. Yep. Exactly. 
well, I we're going to do a second podcast here, so we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. I just want to thank Dr. Yuan so much for giving us his time. Look, if you're listening out there, um, there's this was all over the place, but we hope that you're challenged, encouraged to think about God and his word in a way that is uh, transformational for you. We want to help you come alongside you. You can visit kingswaychurch.org at any time and find out more about the church and its ministries. We love you. God bless you. See you next time.